It's summertime, and you know what that means, and neither do I. But this is the season when leftists like to go outside to do fun summer stuff, like going to the beach and rioting. But not so fast. It's dangerous out there in the real world, especially if you're a leftist and don't know anything about the real world. So let's run through some left-wing safety tips to keep this summer injury-free. When playing outdoors in July and August, leftists should avoid going out in the sun. Because of the evil oil companies who killed all those lovely blue people from Avatar and thus ruined our chances to get free energy from a magic tree, the sun has ceased being the yellow circle with a smiley face it used to be when you were a child. Ever since Donald Trump pulled out of the, climate par the Paris Climate Accord, the sun has become a seething ball of white-hot plasma, setting off something like a gazillion hydrogen bomb-level explosions every second. So, you don't want to be caught going out in that, good lord, you'd be killed over and over. Instead, this summer, leftists should go out at night when the sun disappears for some reason, and your solar-powered houses won't be working anyway, so you won't be able to watch all the great fantasy shows on TV like Game of Thrones and CNN. But while you're on the beach soaking up those healthful moon rays, you want to avoid going near anything that might look like sand or water or the beach. You see, global warming or global cooling or climate change or whatever crap you believe in is causing the sea levels to rise at a rate of approximately eight inches every hundred years. So if you go out to the beach at night and fall asleep because it's night when you're usually asleep because your solar powered house isn't working, there's a danger you might not wake up before the water rises to the place where you used to be 700 years ago. By the way, here's a fun tip. If you do fall asleep for 700 years at the beach and drown because of rising sea levels, you might want to keep an eye out for the bodies of your favorite leftist celebrities floating by, since many of them have houses on the shore despite their fears about rising sea levels. Almost as if their fears were just ways of pretending to be virtuous and had no application to the real world where leftists never go. Finally, leftists, if you're planning your usual trip this summer to the south of France or the Hamptons, remember to walk, since cars pollute the environment. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You can't get to any of your summer places by walking, so go ahead and take cars and planes. Just don't use any oil or gas, because they killed the Avatar people. Have a great summer, leftists. We look forward to seeing you again, and actually, I can't think of a time when we look forward to seeing you again. So bye. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing hunky-dunky. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. <laughs> All right. I have to pay tribute to Lenore Skenazi, who wrote a W uh, Wall Street Journal piece about stupid summer safety tips that I was inspired by this. And I, I would have thanked her in the piece for inspiring it, but the piece went off onto this bizarre kind of fugue and I didn't think she'd want to be associated with. We have the Noltonator, John Nolte. I know I said we were gonna have Roger Kimball. I, I said that Roger Kimball was one of the smartest men in America and then he messed up the time zones. Uh, <laughs> so, so I don't know what that's about, but we will have the, the great John Nolte. So he will be on with us. Are we gonna stay on? Will we stay on Facebook and let people yeah, watch? Sure. Come on, we'll let people watch. But normally, 
damn it. You should be subscribing to The Daily Wire so you can watch the whole thing on the site. And it's only 10 lousy bucks a month, right? Plus, if you subscribe for a year, the leftist tears. Come on. The leftist tears mug will keep your leftist tears cold. So just to, just to start out. Oh, I have to. Oh, they changed movement. Movement spelled MVMT because they needed the vowel somewhere else or something. MVMT has, been, has those great watches. I'm not wearing one today, but I have one and they really are beautiful, really terrific. And the reason they had these great watches is because you had these two college kids, basically, who, like me, love great watches, but like me, don't want to spend a fortune on great watches. So they said, we'll make them ourselves and we'll sell them online and that way we'll save some money. So they just had the same conversation about sunglasses. They said, we are so tired of having to pay a gazillion dollars for a nice pair of sunglasses. Let's make our own and let us sell them online and you'll be able to choose the sunglasses. They'll be so much less expensive than if you went into a store. I mean, you know how they charge you for those things. It's just, it is absolutely absurd. You need them, especially out here in LA. I am an aviator guy myself. They have all that. They have every kind of style you could want. Uh, they, they have a the website itself, the website itself is really cool, very easy to, to use. Just remember, it is M-V-M-T. I don't know what they did with those other letters, but maybe they're forming another site where they can use them. Uh, you can The movement sunglasses start at just 70 bucks with the option to upgrade to polarize. Those overpriced designer brands will run you upwards of $200. Movement figured out that by selling online, they were able to cut out the middleman and retail markup, providing the best possible Price. These are high quality, premium acetate frames, no cheap plastic. You got to see them. They really are terrific. They have lots of styles to choose from, just about every style you could want, and you're sure to find the perfect pair. Here is what you do. If you are a listener to this show, you can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash Andrew. But you have to put the vowels in Andrew because otherwise it won't work. If you go to mvmt.com slash Andrew, you'll get 15% off today. They've revolutionized the watch industry, and now they're going to do the same to sunglasses. mvmt.com slash Andrew. Join the movement or join the movement. I don't know. Uh, so, so, you know, if you're listening to the mainstream media, th this Russia thing, I have to show you this chart that uh, our friends at the Media Research Council put out. This is Research Center. I'm sorry, I always say that. Media Research Center. This is TV's Trump-Russian obsession, right? They have covered broadcast evening coverage of select news topics from July 9th to the 18th. The Trump-Russia probe, 114 minutes. The health care bill, 42 minutes. <laughs> So the news, in other words, is getting under under 50% as much the actual news. ISIS defeat in Mosul, 13 minutes. The stock market hitting a record high, zilch, nothing. Killing ISIS leader in Afghanistan, bupkis, also nothing. The Jane Sanders probe, of course, we're not covering that. I mean, that's like she doesn't even exist. This is Bernie Sanders and the bank fraud probe, nothing. And this is a big one. The veteran affairs secretary has actually been doing what that, you know, Barack Obama pretended he was going to do. He's been throwing people out. He's been saying, you didn't do a good job. You know how hard that is? How rarely people in government get fired or held responsible. For? That's why That's why government works the way it does. But they are on the Russian probe. So now they've got this thing. He's in the, at the G20 meet, 
uh, he's at the G20 meeting right in Hamburg, and he's had his meeting with Putin, and now he had a second conversation with Putin. Putin was sitting with Melania at this big dinner table, places packed, and Trump went over to walk over there and they talked about, he says they talked about adoption. Who knows what they talked about? This is something that happens all the time at these meetings and they're just yelling and screaming about it and it's, oh, he didn't have his translator there, he only had Putin's translator. Who cares? I mean, it's just like, I cannot believe they're doing it. What I wanted to know was what were Melania and Putin talking about before he got there? And luckily, we had our cameras on the scene, so we recorded now on to the hardest part of in this plan. And that is? We're going to take Washington. <laughs> it's obviously they're plotting against us, Melania and, uh, and Putin. Anyway, you know, I have to talk about this first before I get on to Trump. I mean, Trump, this guy, he is the most entertaining president ever. I cannot understand why people are not enjoying this. You know, when I thought he was going to be a bad guy, I thought there was a chance of his being a really bad guy and doing bad things. I thought, well, it's not so funny if he's a bad guy. But as long as he's not, he's not doing anything bad. He is so entertaining. But I have to, before I say that, I just have to talk for a minute about John McCain, who was diagnosed with a very aggressive uh, brain cancer. You know, I know it's typical to say, oh, he's in for a battle and all this stuff. This this kills just about everybody. I mean, the survival, survival rates uh, are in the one single digits and he's 80. Uh, so, you know, this is, you know, this is a bad, bad thing for him. The thing about these situations, I, I've had a real problems with John McCain all throughout his political career, and I've always gone after him and made fun of him and all this stuff. But of course, this lifts the situation above politics. And it's a really good indication that you have let politics drive you insane, that politics has triumphed over your humanity. If when one of your opponents even a guy on the other side, when he's facing the end, when he's facing the, the, the great darkness, the big sleep, uh, that you can't stop for a minute and say, look, that this was a human being like me, John McCain, a hero, a patriot, a guy who was captured by the Vietnamese. They offered to let him go. They offered to let him go because he was uh, an officer and because he had influential people back home. They thought it would be good press. He wouldn't go without his men. He wouldn't leave without his men. And he suffered torture. They did that to me. By the time they said, we offered to let you, I would have been like in another country. <laughs> what happened to Clavin? I mean, I mean, think about that in real terms, not in television terms. These guys were going to beat him. They did. They beat him relentlessly. Obviously, his arms were never the same. His, his arms had, were uh, broken so much. And, it, you know, the guy was a hero, a tough guy, a patriot. He stood for what he stood for. And I want to just play a, li a little bit. You know, let me play first. One of the things I want to talk about today before we get to Nolte is, is the fact that Donald Trump went off on everybody yesterday. I mean, just <laughs> my wife said, is this man ever hinged? <laughs> he was just completely unleashed. And he went off on the senators about the health care thing. But one of the things he was doing is he went off on, um, he went off, on the, he was talking to the senators, he gathered all the Republican senators to, uh, to, to, you know, gin them up to say, get back to work. And at one point, as he always does, he kind of went a little too far. He was talking to... Um, I'm just trying to remember which which senator he was talking to. One of the senators from Nevada, who um, who had voted no and had been against this, and he really the guy's sitting right next to him, and he really gave it to him. So can we play that? That is, let me find that cut. It is, um, geez, what is it? Oh, it's um, it's I think it's number one. Let's try it. I don't think we should leave town unless we have 
a health insurance plan unless we can give our people great health care. Because we're close. We're very close. The other night, I was very surprised when I heard a couple of my friends, my friends, they really were and are. They might not be very much longer, but that's okay. <laughs> I think I have to get that's them back. That's right. I, I refuse. I just, well, no, you didn't go out there. This was the one we were worried about. You weren't there, but you're going to be. You're going to be. <laughs> Look, he wants to remain a senator, doesn't he? Okay. And I think the people of your state, which I know very well, I think they're going to appreciate what you hopefully will do. Any senator who votes against starting debate is really telling America that you're fine with Obamacare. But being fine with Obamacare isn't an option for another reason, because it's gone. Oh, OK, so that was Dean Heller sitting next to him, trying to take it in good part. Trump always goes too far. He's got that New York way of talking. He always pushes these guys. And of course, the press is, be, oh, he's a bully. He's mean. He's nasty. He's rotten, blah, 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 blah. I want to go back because we're talking about John McCain. And I want to just play John McCain when the healthcare discussions were going on, the healthcare summit, they called it, was going on with Barack Obama. And Obama was lying to the public and he was making all these deals. And McCain said to him in the most polite, most uh, decent, civilized way, said to him on camera, you know, take out these deals. Let's have it the same, you know, the same for everybody. And this is cut number nine. And here was, I just want to remind you of what Obama's response to that was. Remove all the special deals for the special interests and favored few and treat all Americans the same under provisions of the law so that they will know that geography does not dictate what kind of health care they would receive. I thank you, Mr. President. Let me just make this point, John, because we're not campaigning anymore. The election is over. I'm reminded of that every day. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, people keep saying what a graceful guy Obama was. Obama was a thug. You know, he did the same thing, same kinds of things that Trump did. He did it. He had a classier voice. He dressed better. Uh, You know, he he knew how to behave in company more than Trump did. But he he was not a graceful guy. That was the way he treated uh, his opponent after the election. Here's the way McCain treated him during the election. While they're fighting for it, he's at a, a, you know, a town hall kind of thing. And this slightly off lady comes over and says this to McCain. And listen to McCain's response. I can't trust Obama. I, I, I have read about him and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No, 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 ma'am. He's a, He's a, he's a decent family man, citizen, that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues. And that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. All right. So that was McCain. And that was some of the reason that people kind of went for, for Trump. They were tired of having a guy like Obama who would rip conservatives and Republicans every chance he got, while our people like Mitt Romney and John McCain were were always saying, you know, oh, no, he's a decent guy. Obama's a decent guy. I just disagree with him. And, you know, this this is something that frustrated people. They fr- it frustrated people because the news media was pounding on their head all the time. It, fr- it frustrated people because they were getting disrespect from the elites, even disrespect from the conservative elites. And it frustrated people with McCain. But it did speak into the fact that he was a decent guy living by a standard that had passed all of us by a standard of decency and honor and uh, and 
friendliness even under fire, uh, under political fire, uh, that has is gone. And I think, you know, many people, many conservatives just felt, look, these days are gone. We're going to lose because they're hammering us so badly. And, and when McCain lost the election, they said, well, he didn't really know how to fight. Uh, you know, McCain fought his corner, I, like I said, I, and will continue to fight until he is gone. But uh, he he was an honorable guy and just disagreeing with somebody uh, does not make him less than an honorable guy. And I'm really sorry for him and and his family. Megan McCain put out a statement, very touching, talking about her love for him. You know, if you're if your daughter speaks like that from the heart about you, uh, at the end, you have been a, led a successful life. Uh, that's a lot more important than anything else he's done. All right, uh, we're going to, oh, yeah, we're not, we're going to stay with you till we have, uh, till we have Nolte. What, what, gee, we're so nice. We're so generous. You, you know, this, you should subscribe just to thank us for being generous. Here are some things that I should not be allowed to do. I should not be allowed to sit in decent company with, you know, polite adults. I shouldn't be allowed to express my opinions anywhere uh, where people are civilized. And I shouldn't be allowed to dress myself. This, this is Jess. Jess, our makeup lady, will tell you. I walked in today. I walked in today wearing this. She said, you look like a Christmas tree. Uh, so I should not be allowed to dress myself. And I think a lot of guys are like this. I mean, I, I seriously walk into a store and I'm like, give me that, 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 and that. The salesmen love me. So what do you do? You know, you either have your wife dress you and then she starts to dress you like her favorite movie star and you start to realize that she's not even thinking about you or you can go into the store and have the guy there dress you and he's just trying to sell you stuff or you can become part of five four you can become part of a five four club these are people who have learned a way to help men dress themselves to make your wardrobe better and it doesn't have to cost a fortune it's called the five four club and it revolutionizes the way men shop what they do is each month they send you a curated box they ask you some questions what do you like what kind of colors do you like what do you you know what's uh, what season, you know, it is and all this stuff. And each month they send you a curated box of two to three items that are handpicked to match the season and your style, your personal style. And they've been helping men with fashion for over 15 years. They ship to over 100,000 men every month and they know what they're doing. So if you don't, that's okay. The 5-4 Club will help you build your wardrobe one month at a time because when you look good, you feel good. I wouldn't know that. That's what it says in the copy, but that's what I've heard. If you look good, you feel good. You get about 120 bucks worth of clothes for just 60 dollars a month and you can pause or cancel anytime with no commitments but but if you become a 5-4 club member you also receive up to 50% off items on their online shop go to 54club.com right now and enter promo code Claven I'm glad you asked me that question Austin it's K-L-A-V as in Victor A-N they will give you 50 if you can spell that correctly they will give you 50% off it's like a test they'll give you 50% off your first month's package plus a free pair of sunglasses. That's not bad. 50% off your first package at 5-4 Club. It's spelled F-I-V-E-F-O-U-R club.com. Promo code Claven 5-4 club.com. Promo code Claven. You will not have to dress yourself and look the way you look. We can save you. <laughs> All right. So I, I, I do have to, before Nolte comes on, I, you know, I want to bring him on as, as quickly as possible. But I, I have to talk a little bit about what Trump did yesterday because it was it was just prime entertaining Trump. I just, just like, and the thing about it is, you know, Ben Shapiro is always talking about good Trump, bad Trump. And the thing is, it's all one Trump, you know, it's all just this guy. He's completely 
Well, he brings the senators in and he slaps them around. And the only thing about this was, the only thing about this whole session was, he should have been doing this all along. You know, he t- this is cut number four. When he says this, he starts to tell people what's good about the plan that they just rejected. And listen to what he says. The Democrats are always selling their plan, but they don't do that anymore. They don't talk about Obamacare anymore because they can't because it's failed. They know it. So they're selling their plan, and we never sell our plan. If we're weak on anything, it's on letting people know how good it was. Now, that's true, but it's his job. That is exactly his job. You want, you know, you want charisma superstar Mitch McConnell to go out there and tell you, I mean, oh, it's a good plan because I think we'll be, yeah. You know, it's Trump's job. This is what, this is the whole job of the president. Now, I have maintained that we hammer and hammer Trump without ever thinking that he can learn anything, but if you watch him, he does learn stuff. Maybe, maybe it is finally occurring to him that this is exactly what he's supposed to do. It is He has accomplished a lot. He really has. The regulation rollback, the judge appointment, the uh, writing of our foreign policy with Israel, and I think to some degree with Russia, ha, 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 you know, so that he's actually made our foreign policy sane again. He's done a lot of really good stuff, but this is the prime job of the president is getting the legislators into line. And he really goes after them, like he goes after them and he goes after Obamacare itself. Please cut number two. This is what he should have been saying all along. Obamacare was a big lie. You can keep your doctor, lie. You can keep your plan, lie. It was a lie directly from the president. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan. 28 times he said it, 28 times. And it was a lie, and he knew it was. And now it's hurting this country irreparably. Premiums are so high that 6.5 million Americans chose to pay a fine to the IRS instead of buying insurance, the famous mandate. We will pay not to take the insurance. People don't understand that. They don't even understand what it is or what it represents. If Obamacare is not repealed in 2018, over 1,300 counties in the United States will have only one insurer. Forty counties will have absolutely no coverage in the exchange. And that number will grow rapidly. And I think those numbers are extremely conservative. I think they're very low. This is what he should have been doing all along. This is what he should have been doing every single day. He should have been going on all the TV shows. He should have been making this speech. He's good at it. You know, I'm not picking on the guy. I understand that he's a, a novice. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing to have a novice as, as president, but that's the situation we have. He is, he is a guy who learns how to do things. This is what he's got to learn how to do. And now it's very late. I don't know if this is going to work. Then he holds their feet to the fire, which I think is absolutely great. This is cut number three. I've been here just six months. I'm ready to act. I have pen in hand. Believe me, I'm sitting in that office. I have pen in hand. You never had that before. You know, for seven years, you had an easy route. We'll repeal, we'll replace, and he's never going to sign it. But I'm signing it. So it's a little bit different. But I'm ready to act. For seven years, you promised the American people that you would repeal Obamacare. People are hurting. Inaction is not an option. See, 
if he had been doing this all this time, again, I'm not picking on him. This is what I want him to learn how to do, and I think he can. He's good at it. He's good at slapping people around. He's good at, at presenting things to the public in a way they can understand. He should he should have been doing this for months, and we would have this thing passed, and they would be talking about amendments. Because remember, what they're voting on is not to discuss it. They're voting on not even to amend it. So they haven't even got the courage to do that. I mean, this is an incredible thing. Now, the, thing, the only thing I want to add, and then we'll get to, to Nolte, the only thing I want to add is while he's doing this, because what makes him so good at it when he finally gets around to doing it is that he's unleashed, you know, he just goes after people and he, you know, he really, he can't curb himself. And so meanwhile, he's giving an interview to the New York Times and he goes off on, on Jeff Sessions. It, it really, it, this, this really is kind of the bad side of a guy who has no, uh, he just has no bridle on. This is uh, cut number five. Sessions gets the job. Right after he gets the job, he recuses himself. Was that a mistake? Well, Session should have never recused himself. And if he would, if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job, and I would have picked somebody else. Mm-hmm. He gave you no heads up at all. Mm-hmm. Zero. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Jeff Sessions takes the job, gets into the job, recuses himself. I then have. Uh, which, which, frankly, I think is very unfair to the president. How do you take a job and then recuse yourself? If he would have recused himself before the job, I would have said, thanks, Jeff, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to take you. It's extremely unfair, and that's a mild word to the president. So I just love that. Now, I want to remind you that um, uh, Obama's, a, uh, Obama's attorney general Remind me his name. I always forget his name. The first attorney general, general under Obama. Um, what's that? Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't know why I always forget his name. Um, but anyway, he came out and said he was su- such a um, Eric Holder. Jeez, he was such a corrupt hack. And he came out and said, I am the president's wingman. He's my boy. I'm the president's wingman. So. Trump is not saying anything that is untoward. It is just he's saying it to the wrong people. The New York Times are not his, they're not his friends. And it makes him seem like, you know, that they're getting to him. It makes it seem like this Russian thing is getting to him. He should learn. These are things that, look, he's got, he, I don't think he's ever going to learn to keep his mouth shut. I do not think, I think that is part of his personality. And I think it is, as, as we see today, it has its good side and its bad side. But I think that he can learn, he can learn to harness this talent he has for slapping people around it, for explaining things, to get these, the GOP into line. Because the GOP virtually doesn't exist at this point. It doesn't stand for anything. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't believe anything. And they can't come together the way the Democrats always do. Let us bring on the Noltonator. I can hear you. Now I got you. Okay. All right. <laughs> How you doing, John? It's good to see you. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. It's good to see you. Is that your, is that your house you're in? Yeah, I'm in my house. I am. Yep. It looks really nice. Jeez. I have to say. You, you Thank put, you. You put those pictures on Twitter and I've never, you know, I've never forgiven you for leaving LA and going back to the country that you love. But, <laughs> but uh, I have to say, when I see those pictures, I know why you did it. It is beautiful out there. Yes, it is. It's perfect out here. We're very happy. We miss the people in L.A., but we don't miss that one-story ghetto even a little bit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame it. All right. So I know I know how that you, unlike Donald Trump, you're very restrained in your opinions, and you always, uh, you know, try to speak in a, a measured tone. Tell me what uh, your reaction was to this health care thing. Well, I, 
I think I have two reactions. The first is towards these never Trump idiots who try to blame Trump uh, in some way for for it failing. I mean, the Republican Party, the oh so precious establishment Republican Party has been promising us for going on seven years that they were going to repeal this. Uh, for seven years, they took our money in these fundraising efforts. For seven years, they got us out to vote in historic numbers. This is a promise that those that those 300 men and women have made probably collectively 10,000 times over the last seven years that they were going to repeal this. Uh, this is a promise that they made in what we now know were completely phony votes to repeal it, knowing that the that when he was president, Obama would veto it. Uh, these people are garbage. They're just scumbags. They're liars. Uh, they conned us. They grifted us. Uh, and they will never see another penny from me. And that's a campaign I'm going to start um, on Twitter is to get people to stop sending money to the GOP. I must get 20 fundraisers fundraising letters a week from these idiots. And I'm going to send them back now and tell them not a penny. I'm going to waste all their postage to send them nothing but a message that says not a penny until you fund the wall, you repeal Obamacare, and you reform taxes. Because they have got it. They got the whole government. They can do anything they want within the reconciliation process. And these cowardly grifters refuse to do it. And that is not Donald Trump's fault. That is their fault. They told us they would do it for seven years thousands and thousands of times. They're bigger liars than Barack Obama. You know, I, while I agree with you that that is their fault, I do think that Trump and, and like, you know, I have, I have certainly come far to, to in, first of all, I enjoy Trump. I enjoy the hell out of Trump. He's the most entertaining president ever. And, and I have come a long way toward respecting him and seeing where he's going and why the people who love him love him. But it is his job to kick these people into line. I mean, he's good at doing that and he only does it now. And I know Mitch McConnell told him to back off. But, you know, he's got, he has got to herd these cats because that is the president's job to some degree. I'm not blaming, that's not blaming him. It's just saying this is a, a skill he has got to learn, don't you think? Yeah, listen, I, I, I'm not saying in any way that Trump maybe couldn't have done something better because I keep hearing like you do. It's, it's sort of these alternate, uh, these alternate attacks on him. When he gets involved in something, he's hurting uh, it, the best thing he can do is stay out of it because he's so toxic when he's really not. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, but I, I think it's two different arguments. Could Trump have done something different? Maybe. But it has nothing to do with the fact that that that, that should have passed, the, the repeal should have passed both houses of Congress, even if Trump was promising to veto it. Hmm. These liars made this promise to us thousands and thousands of times. They stole our money. They made us go to the polls for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Uh, and they, they've done nothing. And this is totally and completely on them. So one of the things that you and I uh, definitely agree on is that Trump's war against the media is one of the things that has needed to be fought for a long time. That I think, right. that, I think that some of our uh, some of the people over at National Review, and I love them all, but I think some of the things they do not understand is what the effect has been on people to just be uh, disrespected by every network, by every Hollywood star, by every uh, you know professor who gets quoted as an expert for eight years while Obama kind of played the music to go along with the words. And, and I think that Trump unleashed has been great. How do you feel the war against the media is going? Who's winning? Oh, I don't, I don't think there's any question that Trump is winning. 
I, I think that the the three biggest propaganda outlets in the country are CNN, the Washington Post, and the New York Times. And the Washington Post, um, I don't know how they're doing, but they're a bit of a laughing stock now. Mm-hmm. The New York Times is definitely a laughing stock. And, and even though we're told time and again that, that Trump is a boon for journalism right now, the, the New York Times is engaging in massive layoffs. And CNN is in a ratings death spiral. Uh, right now, Nicole Wallace, and I think we can all agree that Nicole Wallace uh, would make the perfect poster child for making hate a virtue. It's just horrible. Um, she's beating, she's got more viewers than the entire CNN lineup. I mean, Nicole freaking Wallace. So their their ratings are in the tank, and CNN is just a huge joke now. I don't think anybody takes anything they do seriously. So I, I don't think there's any question that, that the polls show it. I mean, 57% of the American people I saw today believe that believe the media is being too hard on Trump. And the media was jubilant when their approval rating went from, I think, 20% to 20, 24% lately. I mean, they're, they're less popular than Congress. And it isn't so much that Trump's been doing it, not to take anything away from him, but the media's been doing it to themselves. I, I call it death by... By, by suicide through asphyxia masturbation. <laughs> they, they've completely murdered themselves. And all Trump is doing, he's not taking any of their crap. Um, and he's just pointing out, pointing at them and laughing at them. And he's brilliant at the politics of ridicule. The politics of ridicule are what, are how uh, George W. Bush beat Al Gore and John Kerry. Ultimately, it was the politics of ridicule. The alpha male always wins. And, and uh, believe it or not, Barack Obama was able to alpha male John McCain and Mitt Romney. And that's what's happening here. Trump is the ultimate alpha male, and he is just bedeviling these news outlets into national jokes. And I think that the uh, the ratings show that. I think MSNBC is doing well because everyone from all the leftists that watch CNN are running to MSNBC so, because they can't count on CNN. CNN lies to them too much. It's very hard to be lied to and get your hopes up that James Comey is going to is going to tell the whole world that Trump lied about Comey telling him that he wasn't under investigation, and then and then they get let down. I just think that even leftists are being are tired of being lied to by CNN. So MSN is MSNBC is doing well, and good for them. They're openly left wing. They deserve to do well. I have no problem with that. And not only that, they, I, I agree with you. I think that their openness about who they are is is absolutely uh, decisive in how you judge them. And I think they yeah. also see, because they see that Fox is having problems, they brought on Hugh Hewitt. Uh, I think they're talking to other conservatives. I think they're going to you know look for a little balance, which is... Since we do need a press, it would be nice to have a, it would be kind of a dream of mine that we would have an actual fair uh, journalistic establishment. Do you think there's any chance that these guys are going to wake up and say, oh, maybe Trump has a point? No. No, never, no, no. If that was going to happen, it would have happened. It, would, it probably would have happened years and years ago. I've been watching the media very closely, especially since the rise of new media. And when, when new media came along, in force, which was really after the whole Rathergate fiasco. And you could see that there was this group of online people who were fact-checking the media and doing it very closely and doing it very well. At that point, I thought to myself, well, now the media is going to have to shape up because they're being policed. And what I've seen is just, they've just gotten worse, worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, more to the left, more open about their biases, more dishonest, more lies, more fake news. There's been more scandals over the last 10 years than I think in the entire 
history of at least the 20th century of media. So no, they're never going to get better. Uh, they're just going to keep throwing it at the wall and hoping something sticks. Which we, means we have to build a media that actually goes out and not doesn't just give opinions, but actually goes out and covers the news uh, in a and fair that, way. And that's happening. I remember giving a speech to a group of people after Obama beat Romney. And it was a group of conservatives and they were all just desolate. And I remember saying at the speech that people need to feel good because the media landscape is changing. And there were there were news organizations and I'm going to get some of the names wrong. But I think I remember the Washington Free Beacon had just come yep. online um, and a bunch of other news outlets had just come online, along with Breitbart. And and I told them, I said, this is a very good thing. I said, the landscape has changed dramatically in the last year. And it wasn't enough to f- affect the 2012 election, but it's going to be enough to, to affect the 2016 election because because our side is not just throwing rocks anymore. Uh, we're not only good at journalism, uh, we're very good at muddying the waters just as effectively as the media muddied the waters to protect Barack Obama and try and drag Hillary Clinton over the finish line. We're very good at at that uh, tactical aspect of it, um, which some people call whataboutism, but I just call uh, 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 sticking to the precedence that the media set, holding the media to the precedence because they're the ones who set the rules. And if this was okay under Obama, I'm sorry, but it's gonna have to be okay now because losing like a gentleman when your country is at stake is no virtue. I, well, I certainly agree with that. I mean, we have, uh, and the thing about whataboutism is it was named that because the Soviet Union would torture and jail and execute people. And when the Amer- America would complain, they would say, well, what about the fact you held slaves? And that's actually not a good point. It is a good point to say, if you have a double standard, then we can never win. We did have a disagreement about this thing where they shut down the Julius Caesar, which I thought where Trump was, assa- it was Julius Caesar and he got assa- Assassinated, which I thought was repre- I thought it was reprehensible that they put it on, but I thought it was bad tactics that they shut it down. And and you disagreed with me on that. Give me give me the other side of that. Yeah, I, I think that you have. We're in a war, period. And in a war, you can do two things: you can fight for your principles and lose, or you can fight the enemy. And we need to get these people to sue for peace. And the only way to get them to sue <coughs> for peace is to make them feel the pain of their own behavior. And I don't care about the motives of the people who jumped on that stage. What I care about is that the left got a taste of their own medicine right in the very heart of their own, of their own, uh, 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 behind their own battle lines. I mean, Central Park in Manhattan, for crying out loud. And we need to be doing more of that. Now, I'm totally opposed to violence. I am totally opposed to, to any sort of law breaking unless it's what this was, which I believe was civil disobedience where the individuals who committed these acts were willing to go to prison or whatever the uh, the effect was. And I don't think what they did was any different from what, from what Martin Luther King did. Martin Luther King was disruptive. Every, everybody thinks Martin Luther King was some sort of a saint, um, you know, the, the, the sort of simple version of a saint. He wasn't. Uh, he picked Edmund Pettit Bridge, if I'm, if I'm remembering the name of it correctly, because it was named after a slaveholder. He put his thumb in the eye of the bad guys, Democrats, in the South every day of the week. And that's that's how he won. And we need to be doing the same thing. Until the left feels the pain of their own behavior, they're not going to sue for peace. And we cannot sit around and allow ourselves to be treated like second-class citizens uh, by allowing this to happen to us as we allow our stupid principles to make it get, to, to allow it to get worse and worse and worse. We did not win World War II 
fighting for our principles. We won World War II bombing civilians. We won World War II uh, uh, with a very vehemently terrible racist campaign against the Japanese, which even by 1940 standards was racist. You can't fight for your principles. You have to fight the enemy. And doing to the enemy what they do to us, as long as it doesn't involve violence, uh, is, is, is to me a righteous act. See, to me, the problem with, the, with this is as strategy, we're just talking about this, I'm just talking about it as strategy, is since we're not actually in a war, that is, we're not trying to do what you do in a war, which is kill as many of the opposition as you can until they sue for peace because they simply can't go forward. We're actually in a, in a very pitched political battle where I think the stakes are enormously high. I think the stakes are the country. This is where you and I agree. This is why we have so many areas of agreement. I think the stakes are much, much higher than the anti-Trumpers really understand. But but the way you win a political war is you convince those people who can be convinced. We know the left is never going to be convinced. And I think that when we shut when we actually when we fight the way they fight, that's one thing. But when we fight for the things they fight for, like shutting down free speech, I think we're making a, a strategic mistake because we can't convince those people who can be convinced by shutting down free speech because they're going to look at us and say, well, you do, I just have to choose whether I want to go see Shakespeare in the park or whether I want to, you know, have Ben Shapiro shut up. You know, that's all they're choosing between. You know, instead, I think we should actually make them choose between free speech. Everybody gets to talk. And between these people who silence Ben and who silence anybody who comes uh, to their campuses, because because we're not in an actual shooting war, thank God, yet, uh, because we're not, we have to convince people. And we, it, in order to convince people, even though we can fight tough, we have to fight for the things we actually believe in. And one of those things is free speech. Well, I, I agreed with that until about last year, because I think we've tried it that way. And things are getting worse. And not only are things getting worse, not only is the so-called resistance becoming even more belligerent and dangerous, but you have the infrastructure that used to police this stuff, mainly the mainstream media and even the Democratic Party, siding with the bad guys. So it's, it's we've tried it. We've tried it that way. We've tried it my way. I won't just say your way. We've tried it my way for what a decade now, five years now. We've tried reason. We've tried saying to them, "Listen, you're, you know, this is about free speech." We've tried to, uh, appealing to their better nature. It is getting worse, and it is time that we do more than just scratch our chins and puff on our pipes. Uh, we have to protect the free speech of individuals like Ben, but also. You know, just people that want to go to a Donald Trump rail, not, you know, someone like Ben, uh, nothing against him. He's a very brave guy. Yeah. But but he, you know, when his free speech is hurt, it's a good thing for him in a way because he gets a tremendous amount of attention to, to it. Uh, the cause gets a tremendous amount of attention. Um, so he can't lose either way. And that's because he's very smart and he's handling this in a very smart way. But what about just the everyday guy or the everyday girl who wants to watch Trump speak? They can't do that anymore in certain areas, or they, or they want to see Ann Coulter speak, or they want to see you speak or Ben speak. I'm not worried about Ben Shapiro's free speech. I'm not worried about Ann Coulter or Donald Trump's free speech. I'm worried about the free speech of the everyday American uh, who gets a bike chain across the face. And if politeness and editorials worked i think they would have already and i think actually right now the left along with the media they're taking advantage of our weakness which is why it's getting worse out there 
You know, that uh, the thing is, I mean, I'm f- totally against fighting back against the guy who puts a bike chain in your face, but I'm fighting back to get that to let that person speak and let that person do what they want to do. I'm not fighting back to shut them down. Listen, I got to go. It's always great to see you. I wish you were here, uh, but I'm going <laughs> to continue to bother you there uh, as often as I can. Exactly. <laughs> right. I'll talk to you soon, John. Thanks for coming on. All right. Love talking to the Noltonator and read his stuff in the Daily Wire and respect to uh, our our friend Shapiro, because I know that Ben and uh, John sometimes disagree, but Shapiro never shuts them down. And I think that that is part of what makes The Daily Wire such a great site. That's why you should be subscribing and also to get your Leftist Tears mug. It's only 10 bucks a month. It's it's 100 bucks. It's about 100 bucks for a year. OK, so it's not even 10 bucks a month. And you get the Leftist mug. Come on. All right. I, now I have to talk about life insurance. I know you were sitting there going, oh, good. This is what I want to think about. I want to think about what happens if I die. Nobody wants to talk about life insurance. And that's why a lot of times people get screwed in the event. I mean, there are 35 million U.S. families that have no life insurance. That's like 30 percent of U.S. households. And one of the reasons is, you know, they look at it. It's complicated. You don't want to think about it, but you got to think about it. You got to know what's going to happen to the people who depend on you if something bad happens to you, not just your kids, not just your spouse, but also, you know, your your older people in your family, your parents, uh, because they need are going to need funds to take care of. So Policy Genius, Policy Genius is a place where you can go. Nobody's trying to sell you anything. They're just going to let you compare all the different uh, policies that are out there, which means that you can save up to 40% just by comparing policies. You can save up to 40%. PolicyGenius.com is a place to go to learn about life insurance. You can compare quotes from America's top providers. And like I said, save up to 40% on your policy. That this has never existed before. This kind of market for life insurance policies has never existed before. Policy Genius has placed over $5 billion in life insurance, so they know what they're doing. Their simple, user friendly website helps you work out exactly which policy is right for you and finds you the best price. If you've been putting off life insurance, and I can understand it, but you got to get it, so I want to make sure that the insurance you have is right for you, check out policygenius.com today. Save up to 40% just by comparing policies. The quotes are free, there's no sales pressure and zero hassle, policygenius.com. It's life insurance for the 21st century. This is it. I got to go. The Clavenless weekend is upon us. I got to end with stuff I like. I'll go a little bit long here. Stuff I like. Uh, I've been talking about uh, politically incorrect uh, masterpieces. I, I just have to mention this. A Toronto guy, There's a, there was a place in a Toronto park, okay, a community park that had a s- steep slope, and people were falling down and hurting themselves. So the city said, well, we've got to build stairs, you know, on the sp- So they gave in a uh, an estimate for how much it was going to cost, $65,000 or to $150,000. That was how much they were going to charge. The government was going to charge to buy stairs. So a guy goes out and he gets a couple of homeless people to help him and he builds them for $550, okay? They were estimating $65,000 to $150,000. He gets it in for $550. What do you think the government said? They said, oh, we're going to have to tear this down. This doesn't meet our safety standards. It doesn't meet our safety standards. We forget the graph. So I want to end 
you know, there's all this stuff on the left about cultural appropriation. And I believe that cultural appropriation is one of the greatest things about the West. Come on over, add your brilliant cultural stuff, leave your bad cultural stuff behind, leave behind your drug lords, leave behind your tyrants, leave all that stuff behind, bring the food, bring the music, bring the ideas. We love it. And okay, so some of the greatest, as you know, I love the great American music of the 30s and 40s and 50s. And so much of that was white people and black people kind of getting together and learning from each other. Black people learning from Ameri- from white American music, white people learning from black American music, and it made some of the greatest songs ever. Louis Jordan was a genius. He was in, he was called the king of the jukeboxes for about 20 years. He was just a big sensation. Nowadays, nobody listens to him, but his stuff is great. And I wanted to end and go into the Clavenless weekend with this because these are the great words of advice to the government. You run your mouth and I'll run my business. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. The Clavenless Weekend begins. Survivors meet here on Monday. You run your mouth and I run my business, brother. You run your mouth and I run my business, brother. You tell everybody I'm busted. You talk so much you got me disgusted. But you run your mouth and I run my business, brother. You run your mouth and I run my business, brother. You run your mouth and I run my business, brother. You start in telling me you're my pal and end up telling me how to handle my gal. You run your mouth and I run my business, brother. You run your juicy mouth and I run my business, brother. Just run your juicy mouth and I run my business, brother. You always telling me what to do, saying I wouldn't do that if I was you. You run your mouth and I run my business, brother. Just clap your liver lips and I run my business, brother. Clap your liver lips and I run my business, brother. If I'd followed your advice on how to make dough, I'd been in the jailhouse long ago.